One of the most infamous policies to ever come out of China is its one-child policy. Between 1979 and 2015, Chinese families were banned from having more than one child. The consequences of breaking the rule were brutal, bloody, scarring, and deadly. The policy is intimately explored by filmmaker Nan Fu Wang in her documentary, One Child Nation. This film asks a lot of tough questions of China and of you, the audience. She's Kaylee, I'm Tuesday, and this is Whiskey and Popcorn. Nanfu Wang is a Chinese-born citizen. She grew up under the height of the one-child policy, and she later on moved to the U.S. as an adult. And she really earned her street cred as a director and cinematographer in her 2016 documentary, Hooligan Sparrow. In that film, she explored China's surveillance system, how they really are harassing their people, what they endured, um, as well as imprisonment of anyone who was deemed a threat. It's clear that she's not afraid to take a critical look at her home country's practices. And she does put China under a microscope again with One Child Nation. Her interest in the One Child policy was precipitated by the birth of her first child. As a new mom, she began thinking about her own childhood. Wang is both our narrator and guide throughout the film. She returns to China to interview family members, neighbors, health officials, government officials, even activists, human traffickers, journalists, and just so many more. What she pieces together is a truly horrific narrative of genocide. It was jarring, to say the least. I was always aware of the policy and why it was implemented, but this story really gets down to the true shame of the period. It feels like we kind of go on this journey with Wang, and we're just as floored as she is. This is another hard but important movie to watch. I think out of all the documentaries we've seen this year, this is the one that I'm going to remember out of everything. And for me... I've always had an interest in China. This was spurred on by my trip in 2007 when I actually got to go visit the country. Like before that, I really couldn't care less, <laughs> which is a terrible thing to say. But, you know, I was like a young, like 20 year old college student. I just wanted to make it to my next semester, right? And I went on that life changing trip. And it's really interesting to go to a country where, A, you don't speak the language, but you also can't read anything. And B, to still feel aware that you're being watched. Our tour guides were clearly not just guiding us around, but making sure that we weren't getting into trouble. Um, so you could feel the, the government kind of overbearing on you just as a, a visitor. I can't imagine what it's like to be a citizen. Very, very like 1984, like Big Brother-esque? It, in a way, yes. I mean, but stealthier in some regards. Like, you knew you were being watched, but also people just live their lives. And I think that's something that was really highlighted in this documentary. So when they were implementing this policy, as Wang knits it together, there was concerns throughout the world that there was going to be overpopulation of the earth and 
there was going to be mass starvation. There was all these scary things coming out about that the world just wasn't going to be able to sustain itself. Now, whether or not any of those predictions came true is up to the debate now. Uh, I don't feel like the mass starvations of what they said would happen have actually happened at the scale that they said it would. And you could argue as to why that is. Better science, you know, able to grow more food or less people, as China would seem to argue here. With the one-child policy, like, I, I have also heard about it. And I've heard the horror stories. But what really hit home in a terrifying way for me was to see the people affected by this. We start with one of the first interviews with that government official. He was sort of like the, not the mayor, but kind of like the overseer of this province. And part of his job was to monitor the families and make sure they only had one kid and identify those who had more than one and essentially take care of it. And take care of it meant either doing a very gruesome abortion or leaving the child out to die exposure. In addition, they also sterilized women. Which was also horrific and painful. And to take that away from, you know, a woman from a family is just like, it's one thing when it's your choice, and it's another thing when you have no say whatsoever. Well, and that brings up an interesting point. This gentleman you're talking about, and I would say almost every person that Wang interviewed, had this concept of we had to do what we had to do. It was the law. And it felt so like Hitler, World War II, where, you know, well, yeah, I had to do what my commanding officer told me to do. Mm -hmm. And I got the same undertones with this, which was like, we didn't have a choice. I had to do abortions or I had to do this because if I didn't, I would get in trouble. Mm -hmm. And it just it felt so similar. And like, how much can we really justify our actions based on what someone has told us is the rule or is policy? And I think that is one of the most interesting points in this film. And you just you can even take a step back. The Cultural Revolution, like. So much agency was taken away from individuals. You did what you were told or you were taken care of. That begs the question of where does morality come into this? Because, like you said, so many people were just, they sat back and like, I couldn't do anything. Throw up your hands. And I think for Wang, that was one of her frustrations. It's like, how could you not feel remorse? And I think... A lot of the people did. Some didn't. But you could see it in their eyes. You could hear it in the way they said things or they might have laughed things off, but then you would get really quiet. Going back to what I said about seeing people tell these stories was so impactful. Oh, yeah. It's one thing to hear it, but to see it and just see these unnerving and barbaric acts occur. I mean, we see what could be children who are so advanced in age that they could have been birthed and then thrown out like trash. We see that there was no concept of medical waste then, or there was and they weren't following it, but like we see trash and there are 
full grown like eight month old infants in these trash it it, and it was very unnerving well it's like these children if they had been born they would have been pre prematures a lot of them were induced even right up to nine months and killed and for me i i just i can't even imagine that it's just a horrific act like that is that is a child and you just murdered it right there it's not a week or two weeks and whatever your stance is on abortion um i don't know how you could look at those kids and not say that was not a person and the there was they talked to one medical professional at the beginning too and she was a midwife and she said that she in her 20 plus 30 odd years that she was a medical professional did some what was it 50 to 60,000 abortions yeah an absolutely jarring number I like can't, i you i cringed that was one person in one province if you imagine how many medical professionals were stationed around the entire country of China, if they committed the same amount, like, and these kids, Tuesday and I, we, we're of the millennial age, we're, but we're pretty close to like Gen X. So it's like Gen X through millennials. Like, you're lucky if you are our age and alive in China right now is one of my biggest takeaways. I was like, it would have been very easy for you to have just been, oh, nope, not you. You get to be killed. And it's only now that I feel in the last three plus years that there's been an insurgence of starting to talk about it. And that was also something that came up in a lot of the interviews were, why are you bringing this up? This is not, you know, maybe maybe it's just, it's a cultural aspect, but it's like, we don't talk about these things. You don't air your dirty laundry. This isn't something to be discussed. So like, you really need to stop bringing this up and making it an issue. And I think it's it's taken this amount of time from it now no longer existing in 2015 to now where now we're hearing a lot of the stories that were buried and wang really brought this to light at a very important time yeah i i have to say that uh, it's very enlightening here i don't know how much of it's being told in china because she made it clear that china is trying to bury this for the longest time you could see all the propaganda in the film that one child's the way to go. Now two children is okay. And they, like the propaganda is almost identical to what it was in the 70s on like the dances and the cultural aspects of it. And one more, more thing in the film that really struck me as well is that they talked about how, you know, if you had a girl, particularly if it was your second child, you would not survive. And Wang's mother actually helped her uncle get rid of her cousin that she never knew she had. And we actually have a clip of that. When my mom was born, her parents named her Zhao Di, which means bringing a younger brother soon. She later helped her younger brother abandon his daughter in the market so he could try again for a son. So she's saying there that, you know, they couldn't just abandon the child in broad daylight. 
so they did it at night. They put her in a basket and basically left her on the mountainside. Like, this sounds like something out of, like, some Greek tragic play. But, you know, this was in the 1980s in China. And they said there were kids in baskets at the market almost daily. Dying. And, and dying because no one was going to save them because then it was an issue in their lap instead of someone else's. And what ended up happening, I think this kind of came later, not right away. They are called human traffickers. I don't know if I would call them human traffickers, but they were these individuals who would collect these children and deliver them to orphanages. And at first there was no payment. Later on, they were getting paid. And so when the government cracked down on this practice, they were called human traffickers. But in a way, they were rescuing these children. Yeah, they were much more missionaries, as we would see it, than than human traffickers, as there's a very negative tone with that, because that tends to be like human sex trafficking, mm-hmm. which is a very huge and scary issue going on in all countries right now. But really, I think they were saviors. <laughs> right. I have to agree with that. And I think the one thing that also was new for me was the adopting out of all these Chinese children to wealthy Western countries, the U.S. being one of them, and these parents being told that these children were orphans. Turns out they're not. Right. That is another undertone of this film is we're following two individuals who have a nonprofit organization that is now going back and trying to connect all of these kids together because there's people who don't even know they have brothers and sisters living in the U.S. And so it's, it's you know, continuing the conversation of the reverberated issues that are stemming from this policy. That is huge. You know, and they have a bunch of people reach out to them who knew that they had brothers or sisters and trying to kind of connect the dots when... Nothing was really firm on paperwork and everything was kind of done really back alley. Very shady. Very shady. And so really trying to connect the dots. And and these two individuals have, you know, spent their life with this mission of trying to connect all of these people back together. So it really shows you, you know, they they could work on this work for another 30 years Mm -hmm. and still trying to connect people because it's just such a you, you see newspapers of these children found child, found child, and you know no one's going to claim these children. And and then in another sense, you get, of course, the Western concept of we're the savior, so we're going to come and save these young girls and baby girls from this horrible policy that's, you know, in the East. And so then you also get the U.S. savior complex, which is a whole different story. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't think in the documentary she really hit hits on that as much but you're right the the organizer of that foundation one of them is white and he married a chinese woman but um yeah they're they're trying to track down all those those families and try if if there's open to on both sides to kind of reconnect them and reunite them um but that that was shocking to me because it reminded me of like oh i i had a friend who was chinese and was adopted in a family when i was in elementary school and middle school and high school and i was like now i'm thinking back these weren't probably orphaned girls these were probably stolen from their family or abandoned and all of a sudden these crazy stories that we consider eastern problems are literally in your classroom and you realize how really close you are to 
other countries and world policies. It's just wild. So um, I guess to sum up this documentary, it is brutal, but totally worth watching. Oh, yeah. It, it is eye-opening, to say the least. And, you know, stomach-turning as well. But it's going to be released by Amazon if it's already out. Um, it has a bit of a limited theatrical release, but hopefully it'll be up on Amazon Prime very soon so you can just watch it from home. And um, I would just say brace yourself. <laughs> well, on that note... Um, this is another very difficult film to be jokey and drink to. So I think it's probably best to toast to the survivors of the one-child policy. I'll take that. And on that note, make sure you subscribe to us. <laughs> we are on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and SoundCloud. And of course, follow all the latest news on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And don't forget to bookmark our website, whiskeyandpopcorn.org. There you can stay up to date on all the best reviews, interviews, and movie news. Until then, we'll see you at the movies. <laughs>